Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Hey, it's great to see you guys. And uh, if you're new here, you may be wondering uh, who I am. I wonder that myself sometime at my age. But um, Jay's, uh, Jay's asked me when I'm in, when I'm in town this summer to uh, help him some. He's, he's got this uh, little thing called a new baby at home. And so he never sleeps at all. And, uh, uh, and actually, it's a tremendous blessing. You're our, you're our family. And uh, most of you know us, but uh, John and Donna Avent, we're missionaries with, uh, with Life Action Ministry. And, uh, and so I'm traveling 200 plus days a year. Donna doesn't travel twice that, twice, quite that much. But uh, when we're here, uh, this is this is where we where we are. If, even if we go someplace else in the morning, we're going to be here because this is our our home, our family. Really, we've got our small group here, and we just love what God is doing with you guys. It's uh, it, it's it's really my heart and my uh, passion. And, and thank you for praying for us. Uh, I've a- asked a couple people to pray for me today that I'll have energy. Uh, uh, Don and I, I think between us probably spoke something like 20 times this week. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we have, we lead a part of what we do at Life Action is lead a family camp uh, in Southwestern Michigan, which is just unbelievable. We'll go back in a couple weeks and do it again, but uh, it is intense. And then we just see God do the most amazing things in families. And um, we, we're usually jam-packed at this point, but we've got a few openings post-COVID. People are still, oh, you guys are open again? So uh, we've been spreading the word. If anybody wants a family vacation beginning Monday, July 12th for uh, the rest of that week, you let me know and I'll, I'll get you a tremendous discount, if not almost, almost free, if we, we, we want people rather than, uh, uh, than, than we, we're glad people can pay and help us do it, but we'd love to have you there. It's just an amazing experience. So we just came back. We got on an airport. We, we got up at 4 a.m. yesterday. So we could get home yesterday and have some time to get ready for today and everything else that God's got going on. Um, as you, if you pray for us and you pray for Life Action, we, you, we really th- just so thankful to have a, a home church that treats us like missionaries. And um, this week's a home week. So excited! Uh, y'all get tired of me. I'm preaching next Sunday as well. We'll have our family back. Some of you know. Uh, uh, Matt and Christy, some of you remember Joseph and Amy who used to be here and they're on staff at a church in Arkansas. They'll be with us next week. So we're, we're very excited about that. Look forward to, uh, to speaking to you next week. But um, one of the things that we do at Life Action is we, we try to learn from and um, resource wherever God is working. So we work all over this country uh, helping to spark and stir uh, movements of God, but we also uh, now post-COVID, we're resuming our international work. And some of it we've been doing anyway by Zoom. So for instance, uh, anybody know, here's a good trivia question. I bet you most of you would not know this. Uh, what's the largest Muslim country in the world? Anybody know? You can shout it out. Oh, somebody knew it. I think that's somebody from our small group that probably already heard us talk about it. But Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. Got a call a couple months ago. I love to let you know what God's doing in the world. We've told you about uh, what he's doing in places like Iran, just uh, the greatest movements of God, maybe in the history of the world. Um, and uh, in, in, um, in some of these places, God is moving so powerfully. But Indonesia 
is, is, is just the beginning stages of what God is doing. And a missionary called me a few months ago and said, I've only probably got a few years left here before I move to a strange country called America. He said, I've been 30 years in Indonesia. I've been pleading with God to let us see the miracles he's doing in places like Iran and Afghanistan and Syria. And we could just continue to name the Muslim countries where God is moving. And he said, I know you were a part of a great movement of God 20-something years ago in America. He said, I've read everything you've written about it. He said, would you help us in Indonesia? I said, brother, I've got seven invitations internationally over the next year. And I I don't know that we can do all of those, but, um, but talk to me about it. And he said, well, first of all, would you just help mentor our pastors? He said, we've got pastors that'll do anything for the sake of the gospel. They'll face death itself. Um, he said, would you start mentoring them by Zoom? He said, they'll walk, they'll come from any distance. I said, well, I've heard that before because the third largest Muslim country in the world is India and uh, mentored their pastors. And they, some of them walked for days to get there to watch me on a screen. That's how committed they are. He said, if you'll do this, 250 pastors will come in, in, the, in the largest Muslim country in the world. Christian pastors in the largest Muslim country in the world. The last time I did it, one of them had his church, some of the areas of Indonesia allow church buildings. Um, He had his church blown up, and two days later, he walked to hear me teach. And I'll be doing that again this Tuesday. So um, their time, it'll be at the night, and our time, it'll be early in the morning. Pray. Pray as 250 pastors in a Muslim country as I mentor and encourage them and help them. And then um, we are planning right now to be with them live and in person next year. Um, We'll also be um, on the, the border of a country where God is working in ways that are so powerful, but I don't want to say out loud what he's doing. We'll be there in November. Um, it looks like we'll be in the spring in the country where more ISIS members have come from than any place else in the world. I'm not going to say that one either publicly. Um, and yet right now, that's not ISIS is not the problem. The problem is how to disciple all the believers that are coming to know Jesus in this country. I've already been there twice. This will be my third journey. And uh, man, I'm just so thankful for all God is doing. So you think about Don and I um, and and pray for us, pray for the things that God is doing through Life Action, the camp going on right now, our our road teams full of young, gap year, college age missionaries. We're training, getting them ready to go out across North America in September and pray for us as we uh, resume our international work. All right. Kingdom mentality. We finished the series today, and the next next Sunday, I'm really excited about really an incur- a very different kind of Fourth of July message. Uh, it's, it's sure not going to be a nationalistic message telling us how to save America from all the evil people. I I hear enough of that. I, God's good at that. That's not my job, not our job. Uh, next next Sunday, we're going to talk about what the Bible shows as real liberty. And how you can have it no matter what burden you're carrying. My preparation for next Sunday has been some of the most encouraging stuff I've done in a long time. But today we get to finish up this series, Kingdom Mentality. So open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And um, Jay's done some of these. I did one of them a couple of weeks ago. Um, And we've just been covering really the first six, seven verses of this passage. And I want to remind you what the first two verses say. Paul's writing to his adopted son who's a pastor, And uh, in Ephesus, and he says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jay really hit that last week. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's That's what a kingdom mentality is after. It's after a movement where 
every follower of Jesus has mentors in your life and you are mentors to others. You say, oh, I don't know Jesus well enough to be uh, a, a mentor. You know Jesus well enough to be a mentor when you've known him five minutes. Do you know that? Because most people don't know him at all. And I found some of the greatest spiritual mentors about Jesus in the world are brand new believers who are like, I don't know much of nothing about nothing except Jesus loved me and he changed me and he saved me. And, and, and if you don't know him, man, you ought, to, you ought to get in on what I know. Now you're mentoring, all right? So, so mentoring, a, a Christian mentor, you can begin to be a Christian mentor as soon as you know Jesus. Uh, but obviously, as you grow, you have more to mentor to others. But what is really tragic is that in the, in the, church, the church of Jesus in this country, not in places like Iran and Syria, those places, they all understand what we've just read. This is what the church does. In our country, what we usually do is come sit and listen to a sermon and a music and feel good because we've done our church thing for the week and then we, we go back to normal life. Now, I gotta tell you, the Bible doesn't say anything about Christianity that looks like that. And I promise you that brand of Christianity will disappoint you sooner or later. Some of you are here because you got disappointed in kind of a regular church when you just went and sat and went and sat and, and, and you did like, what is, I can watch this on TV. Why does this matter? Well, it, it doesn't matter much over the long haul because it's not what the Bible shows us that our faith is meant to be. We're supposed to live with a kingdom mentality, the expanding kingdom of King Jesus. And when we, when we live out these verses in one and two, we're, we're actually in a kingdom movement of the Lord. Now, this is meant to be intentional, and it's absolutely essential to anyone that calls himself a church. We must be doing this. So, so you've been a part, it, it, unless you're new here, you've been a part of this series now a few weeks. You've heard Jay, you've heard me. So let, let me ask you, are you making some intentional decisions? You know, you've been learning about the strength of the Lord. You've got all the strength you need. You've been, been learning, that, that we, I talked a few weeks ago about being a soldier of Christ. And this passage talks about it, this athlete. You know, you've learned about pressing forward for the prize. Are, are you making some intentional decisions? Is your life becoming any different because of these weeks together? You know, otherwise, what are we doing here? We want the Lord to, to change us, encourage us, uh, make us better followers of his and, and, and a richer experience of the gospel that provides all the strength and hope and patience and peace and kindness and grace and all that we need for life, right? So if you haven't made any yet, like, how is this changing my life? What does it mean to be a part of, of Midtown Church? How does all this fit together? How can I be a part of that? I'm getting in a small group because I can't really follow Jesus without it. If you haven't made those kind of decisions, do it today. Do it today. I'll, I'll give you a real simple template at the end of this message to make some of those, some of those decisions. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. I told Don on the way over here, I said, I'm kind of tired and this is not nearly as exciting a passage as some. And I'm just praying the Lord does what he wants to with the message. You pray for me for that as I preach. But here's what it says. This is not one of the most exciting verses in the Bible. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, I want you to imagine you're at a, um, maybe a party at somebody's house. And, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, 
I mean, every, just about every time we're in town, we, we go out for dinner with folks from our small group after this. Maybe you do things like that too. Let's say that you're at a gathering of folks from Midtown and it's, it's welcoming new folks. God's bringing new folks all the time. Jay mentioned all the new kids and, and you're just standing around and uh, let's say you're a guy and a couple of guys come over and you're just talking to them. What do, what do guys ask? What do men ask of other men? What do you do for a living, right? It's one of the questions we ask. So, so you got these, these, these two guys. One of them looks, man, he looks kind of tough. And the other one just is just ripped, you know, and you kind of feel a little self-conscious. You ask the really tough-looking guy, what do you do for a living? Because I'm, I'm a soldier, special forces soldier, many deployments. Wow, yeah. Is it a, and, and, but I'm a follower of Jesus, too. So I guess, guess you could say I'm a soldier of the Spirit. Oh, that's cool. Turn to the other guy. What do you do for a living? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a full-time athlete. I'm actually a, a gold medal winner. In fact, I've, I've got a barrel of gold medals. I'm pretty much the best there is at my sport. So I also love the Lord. So uh, since I'm the best there is at my sport, I guess I'm kind of the goat of God. <laughs> so now you're sitting here with these two guys, you know, and they say, hey, what do you do for a living? And you go, I'm a farmer. <laughs> kind of sink down low. But these guys, uh, if they're humble enough, they go, what are you, what are you acting like that's, that's not an important thing? I, I'm a soldier, man. I can't, I, can't do, I can't fight unless somebody grows my food. And I know nothing about that. The other guy goes, yeah, man, I'm an athlete. One of the most important things in my life is how I eat. And man, I'm always, I gotta have fresh produce, man. You, you farmer dudes, you're the guys that help me win. What are, you, what are you feeling self-conscious for, man? Not everybody needs a soldier and everybody needs, a, needs an athlete, but everybody needs a farmer. So you know what I think? I think even though, yeah, we're, we're called to be soldiers of the Spirit and we're, we're called to be these athletes for Christ and those are exciting concepts and I like studying about them. But I think maybe the most important picture in the Bible of a kingdom mentality is just the every man or the every woman preparing the soil, sowing seeds, and harvesting a Jesus crop. What's cool about that is um, that, that doesn't require quite as much of the tough and cool factor and the, and the giftedness, you know, of the athlete and the, and the, and the soldier. Just, just requires somebody that can, that can scatter seed. So I, I want us to look at this a little bit today. I've just entitled the message, How to Harvest a Kingdom Crop. How to Harvest a Kingdom Crop. So let me just simply walk you through what I find in the scriptures on how to do that. And then we'll leave here just knowing, hey, every one of us is capable of living with a kingdom mentality and, and seeing a, a harvest that is good. So number one, prepare your own soil for growth. Prepare your own soil for growth. Say you um, had a farmer friend that lives out among all, he's got all kinds of farms around him. And he goes, hey, I'll take you on a tour of my farm. First of all, let me show you my neighbor's farms. And he, he drives, and at every neighbor's farm, he criticizes them. Oh, man, they don't, they don't know how to, how to grow corn. These guys don't know how to grow rutabagas or whatever they grow, and he's criticizing it all. And then you go back to, to his farm, and you realize his weeds are the highest of any of the farms. <laughs> you kind of wonder why he's worried about the other farms, right? Let, let me tell you, I, as, I, as I watch the church in America today, and I have to be very careful sometimes, Donna challenges me, don't get cynical now, don't get cynical now. It's one of the reasons I love, love, love being in the persecuted church and seeing the health of the church that looks so much like, uh, the, like the New Testament. But one of the things I just hate 
about the church in our country is, is this competitive mode and this critical mode. I've almost stopped even paying any attention to Twitter. Donna said today, have you seen about our friend? We have a friend and somebody was bashing him on Twitter for a sermon he preached. And, 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 and I'm like, oh my, I just, I just, I'm so tired of watching us do that, that kind of stuff. Let me, let me tell you, we don't, we don't have any business right now worrying about anybody else's farm. We need to take a real good look at our own farm. And uh, so when you go on social media and you watch all this stuff, you watch everybody arguing and, and, uh, and, and, and fussing uh, about, you know, who's right and, and, and who's wrong, uh, just remember that. We're too concerned about everybody else's farms these days. You're the soil. I'm the soil. Did you know that? I, that's not me saying that. That's exactly what the Scripture teaches us. Jesus um, in, in Matthew chapter 13, he tells a story we sometimes call the parable of the sower, and I won't read it all, but he just, he just talks about um, that a farmer, a sower, he went out to seed and he scattered the seed. He said, but some of it was rocky soil and, and it, it had no depth. It wasn't prepared soil and so the seeds died. And some of it was thorny soil. No one was well, they didn't have enough goats, Jay. They didn't have any goats, I guess. So, but, so the, the thorns were choking it out because nobody was caring for it. Nobody was actually farming it. If you've got thorns where your seeds are, nobody's taking care of, of, of the soil. And, and he, he said, so the, those seeds, um, they didn't grow. But he said, other seeds fell among good soil. And verse 8 says this. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold some 60, some 30. And he has no greater praise for the ones that grew 30-fold than the ones that grew 100. You know, you know what's really great about that? You, 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 don't, you're not, you don't have to worry so much about what's going to happen with my life. How's this going to work out? Am I pleasing God enough? Am I accomplishing enough? Am I going to be remembered when I die? What's going to happen? You know what? Not your, not your problem. Not your problem. The Lord gives the same praise to the seed that was 30-fold as he does to 100. The Lord knows what he's doing. Just get your soil ready. You're the soil. Ask yourself, is, is some of my soil rocky? Is some of it got some thorns in it that need to be dealt with? And, uh, and allow the Lord to do that. Uh, we were in Idaho. We've been to Idaho twice this year. God's moving so powerfully through a church, several pastors there, and uh, was back up there just a couple of weeks ago, and I was having lunch with a, a, a farmer rancher. I knew I was going to be preaching this, and I said, hey, when you're, um, when you're preparing your soil to, to grow, he said, is it any different what you grow? He mainly raises hay, because he's mainly a rancher. He said, not really. He said, you got to do the same, same things. You got to break up the soil, get rid of all the rocks and the thorns and stuff. You got to break it up. He said, so we plow it down. He said, and then, then you, 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 you got to make sure that water can come both up and down. It's got to be able to get down to the roots and go up from the roots to the plants. And, and, uh, and, and he said, really, the important thing there is you got to give your soil rest every few years so you don't plant the soil all the time. Rest is crucial for the soil to, soil to be prepared. And then you got to fertilize, which is nasty work. But if you don't get out there with a nasty fertilizer, your, your soil's not going to be ready. And I thought, huh, that's, that's a lot of good stuff there for us as we're thinking about preparing the soil of our life. Let me ask you, can you see God working you? Can you see him working you? Can you look right now and, and say, I, I can see some places where God's breaking up my soil. I can see some ways right now where 
where um, his, his love and grace is beginning to get down to the roots a little better. I'm getting deeper. And, and, it, and it seems to be coming back up a little better and nourishing other plants. And, and uh, sometimes I can see the, the nasty stuff that is not all that fun, but I can see how God's using it, fertilizer in my life. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. What a great farming verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. You sow righteous seeds. It says you're going you're to reap love. I love this. Important to what we're talking about here. Break up your fallow ground. The word fallow means unusable. It's the ground covered in rocks and thorns. Break it up, he says. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. How, do, how, does, how does our life become usable soil? If you're saying, well, if I'm the soil, I, I know I got some rocks and thorns, so how does it become usable? If it's so important to be this farmer for God, to have usable soil, how does it get usable? Well, number one, you need God's breaking instead of your own. You need God's breaking instead of your own. You know, there's all kind of pictures in the scripture of brokenness. And a soil that's not broken or a life that's not broken um, is never going to go well. It's not going to work well. Um, but the problem is um, often our lives get broken not because God's breaking us, but because we're making a mess of life and we're kind of breaking it up ourselves, And that doesn't usually work out too well for us. So we need God's breaking instead of our own. You know, two people in the Bible I think about, um, one found himself in a pit and one found himself in a pig pit. Who am I talking about? Who was in the, who, who was in the pit? There you go, Joseph in the Old Testament, not the man who raised Jesus, but Joseph in the Old Testament. Who found himself in a pig pen? Prodigal. Now, both of those guys were broken. They were broken, okay? The guy in the pig pen had wasted everything God had given him, you know, became a, a drunk and croused around everywhere with every woman he could find and, and finally found himself in a pig pen eating what was left over that the pigs didn't want. He was broken. But the guy named Joseph, man, you could argue he was worse off he found himself in a pit that his brothers threw him in to sell him to slavery until his daddy had been killed. And that's what happened. Both of them broken. But Joseph did nothing to break his own life. You see, when we allow God to break us, Joseph didn't understand, but God was still in charge. And if you don't know the end of that story, Joseph ended up he went from a slave to being second in command of the whole nation of Egypt. And one day his family, his brothers that sold him to slavery and their dad, they were starving to death in a famine. And the second in command of Egypt was in charge of making sure everybody had enough food. And so when they came to Egypt to get food, guess who they ran into? Long lost Joseph who they'd thrown in a pit. And rather than kill his brothers, he forgave them and loved them. And eventually... Out of that story that came out of a pit came the people of Israel that one day gave us a Messiah named Jesus. From a broken life in a pit who had done nothing to cause his own brokenness. You know what some really good news is? Whether you find yourself in a pig pen or a pit today, God can bring about the same result. 
He doesn't want you to have to find it from the pig pen. He'd rather, he'd rather you say, God, here's my life. Do whatever you want, me, want of me. If you need to throw me in a pit somewhere, if you know that that's going to result in your glory and the life you have for me, I'm ready for the pit. I just don't want to end up in the pig pen of my own making. So whether it's the pig pen of self or the pit where you meet God's power, just come to him today and either say, Lord, here I am. Break me any way you choose. Break up the ground of my life so I can be used of you. Or God, I'm in a pig pen and I did it myself. And I'm so sorry. And like that prodigal in the pig pen, Lord, I'm running home to the Father. I'm running home. Forgive me, cleanse me. I'm broken now. If you can use me, use me. And his answer to that's always, oh yes, come on home. Isn't that cool? You don't have to go the route of the pig pen, but even if you have, the results can be exactly the same. So you, you, you want God's breaking, not your own. And then breathing and drinking in Jesus. Breathing and drinking in Jesus. Remember the water, farmer told me, it's got to go down, it's got to go back up. We, we generally call this breathing and drinking in Jesus stuff devotion or a devotional. That every day we want to have a devotional. We want to have time with the Lord. Now that's important. Some, I, I'm, I'm better at it at night. My wife's better at it in the morning. But you want some time in the course of your day where you just set aside to be with Jesus. And, but you know what the word devotion really means? It means what your life centers around. And here's one thing that scares me about people having devotionals. If you think, okay, I, I, I read my devotional book. I read us a little bit of the Bible. Whew, got that over with. Now I'll go live the real part, the normal stuff of life, then you don't have any understanding of, of a devotional and you're sure not ready to be a farmer God's way. To, real devotion drives you to breathe and drink him in all day long. You know what I think one of the great tools God has given us for is that? I wanna be practical. It's just right here. In my note file, I keep a journal and I keep different files for different kinds of thoughts and throughout the day, maybe I'll think, you know what? I, I'm, I'm convicted by that. I've not been really paying attention to that in my life. Let me write, let me write that down. Um, and sometimes I irritate my wife because I'm all, sometimes she thinks, people, when you're at church, people will think you're answering texts or something. And, and I say, you know what? I, I understand that, but I, I have to breathe and drink Jesus. So I gotta be able to write these things down so I don't forget them and miss them. Are you, are you using ways like that so that throughout the day your life is centering around Jesus and not just whenever you have your, your time where you sit down with, with him, Jesus wants us to plant the seeds that result in a spiritual harvest. But you don't grow corn by planting poison ivy. So if you spend all day long in the junk and the poisonous stuff of this world, listen, that's not necessarily wrong. Jesus sends you, sends you to the world. Doesn't, doesn't send you to be of it, but he sends you to be into it. But if that's all you, all you do all day, then you might end up planting poison, poison ivy vines. And the Lord's got a different way for you, but you, you have to, you have to drink, drink him in and breathe him, breathe him out. And, and, and then finally, you want to you have good soil, you got to get dirty. Getting dirty, that's the third way to have usable soil in your life. Uh, only fertilizer will do for, um, for a farmer. And, y y you know, only getting dirty by following Jesus to the broken and the hurting, it's the only way you're going to have good soil. Only way. When I, when I was a pastor, I got so worn out with people just studying the Bible and doing nothing about it. I, to be honest, I didn't want to have Bible studies anymore. I wanted to have Bible doings. 
So we read it and then go do it, you know? And that's what Jesus was always doing. He was always doing for others. In the power of the Spirit of God, he was always serving, and he was getting dirty. A long time ago, maybe the first time I spoke to you, I, I told you about why they washed feet back then. Anybody remember that? They washed feet back then, not primarily as a religious ritual, but because they had sewage between their toes. You see, the sewers of that day were a trough. If you go with us to Israel in 2023, we're taking a trip to Israel. Um, there's, you, you'll see still the ancient roads that are there. There's a trough in the middle. Why? People go out and take the sewage bucket and dump it in. And it always ran downhill. So the thought was, well, the water, will, it'll rain. It'll wash it all out. Doesn't rain a lot there. So that stuff dries. And there's bacteria and nastiness and human waste floating around in the air. And people wore open-toed sandals. They didn't understand, but they, they knew if they didn't wash feet, they got sick in their homes. Well, it's because they had sewage between their toes. Can you imagine if that was your job, to wash that out? From people that spent all day long outside in the dirt and the nastiness? So when Jesus shows up for the Last Supper, there wasn't a servant there. There was nobody there that was low enough on the totem pole to serve and all, but they're just mad. So Jesus takes a towel and a basin and Gets in between their toes and gets all that stuff out. You know what he said then? He said, you don't get this now, but you will. Go do this. Go do that. Because he knew, he knew that when you do the things that are nasty and dirty and other people won't, he knows how it works in you and how it works in others. My vice president at Life Action, one of my dearest friends in the world, Ben Slink, just did the wedding for his son. And uh, he said, I hadn't done a wedding before. Help me to go through this. We're going through all the stuff. And I'm kind of saying, well, it's, this goes here, this goes there. And he goes, well, we're going to do something different. Where do you think we should put the foot washing? <laughs> I went, what? Anybody ever seen foot washing at a wedding? Maybe that's normal. One or two of you have. I, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor. I've never seen it. But he said, yep, my son wants to wash the feet of his wife in the wedding. I thought, that is abundantly cool. He, he said, the wedding was out in California. He said, people's jaws dropped. And they kept asking, what, what was that? What, what was the purpose of that? Most of them that were not believers had never, ever heard of it. And he was able to share this beautiful picture of the gospel. You want to have usable soil? Go wash some feet. All right, so, so if, if, we, if we want to be farmers in this spiritual sense, if we want a kingdom harvest, we've got to prepare our own soil for growth and, and then just scatter small seeds every day. Remember, I told you, this is, this is every man, every woman stuff. This is not somebody, something that is only for the uber talented. You know, seeds are miracles in themselves. You, you ever eat a nice cold piece of watermelon and think this whole watermelon came from one of these seeds right here in the watermelon? that even happen? I mean, you try to make that happen. <laughs> Every single seed is a miracle. And you know what's wonderful? You don't have to do big things for God. It's one of my primary themes that I teach at Life Action. You don't have to do big things for God. God does big things. You just do little things. He'll take care of the big things. And it sets us free in so many ways. So how do you practically do this? How do you practically go around every day just scattering seeds everywhere you go? Well, all you do is wake up in the morning and say, Lord, show me people to love and show me people to talk to you to, to about you. That's it. 
It's not complex at all. Show me somebody to love and serve and show me somebody that I can talk to about you. And then just consider the day a problem, if not a failure, if you go through the whole day and don't serve anybody or share with anybody. Now you're scattering seeds all around. Doesn't have to be any more complex than that. You don't need a big crowd, don't need a giant church, don't need any of that. Just go serve somebody and share with somebody. So today, um, my wife was very determined that I served her. (laughs) She said, I got chores for you to do. Quite a few of them. We're home. The kids are coming. First time in almost two years. Our whole family's going to be together this week. We're so excited. Here's your list of stuff to do. Now, I didn't, I'm just going to be honest. I wasn't real joyful about it because I'm tired and I got plenty of stuff to do too. But she gave me this list of chores. One of them was to get propane so that we'll have, um, I'll be able to grill more work, you know, for me this week with the kids. And I said, we've got propane. She said, no, the tank's empty. Don't you remember? It ran out last time you grilled. I said, no, we got it filled. No, the tank's empty. Okay. I went and got the tank. It sure feels heavy to me, but I put it in the car, drove down to the, to the station near our house, the gas station, the convenience store where they sell propane. And uh, they said, well, a guy will meet you out at the tank, fill it up. So this guy comes out there and, and because I wake up every day and say, Lord, give me somebody to serve and somebody to share with. Well, I knew that I wasn't going to be in contact with a whole bunch of people until you today. And I guess I serve and share by preaching, but I wanted to be a little more personal. So just started talking to this guy. Now I want to tell you, this guy is 1,000% Tennessee. I mean, rural Tennessee. You know what I mean right there? You know, And I'm not making fun of it. I, and I'm a redneck myself. I love country Tennessee. I live out there. Our closest neighbors are goats and chickens and stuff like that. I, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of him. But, um, you know, you look at him, talk to him, and you know he is rural Tennessee. And we start talking and um, ask him, uh, I told him what I did for a living. I find if you say you're a missionary, people either want to talk about it or they don't. It gives you a good idea. So uh, we start talking. He's got all kinds of questions. And, and he hadn't done anything with my propane tank. We just talked. We talked for a half hour. And, uh, and, and he said, I, I, I've got a church family, but I never go anymore. COVID scared me. And now I hadn't gotten back and I know it's wrong. And, 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 and I said, his name was Paul. I said, Paul, you, they're, they're missing you and you're missing them. I, I said, look, God brought me here to you today. And he started crying. He said, I know. He said, nobody talks to people like this. I go all day long putting propane in people's tanks and nobody talks like this. Thank you for just talking to me like this. I said, okay, but I'm gonna hold you accountable. I'm gonna pray over you right now and pray the next Sunday morning, you're back with your church family. Okay, and he's crying and I'm praying. I'm thinking, Lord, this is good life right here. This is, this is so good. And we finished and gave me a big hug, gave him a hug. He said, would you come back and talk to me some more? I said, sure. I said, but fill my tanks. My wife doesn't get mad. And he hooks it up. Now, I'm going to give you the exact quote of what he said. He hooks it up and he goes, Brother John, this here thing's as full as a tick. (laughs) This here thing's as full as a tick. So my wife sent me on a, a chore for no reason, right? No. No, I needed to meet Paul today. Some of our dear friends in um, Michigan, where our offices are, we're up there, I'm only up there about a week a month because I'm on the road most of the time. Um, she's supposed to have cancer surgery last week. We're concerned for them. They've lived in a trailer with life action for 44 years. 
when they're on the road. They have a place when they're not, but usually it's in a trailer that we furnish for them. They're the most amazing people. We love them so much. And we did not want to go to dinner with them Wednesday night. We wanted her to have her surgery. And the surgeon got delayed last week and was not able to do the surgery. We were heartbroken. To be honest, I was a little mad at God. I don't have a lot of faith. That's not one of my gifts. I have just a grain of mustard seed. God has to use that. I'm kind of like, God, seriously? Debbie Canfield? What? Couldn't you have the surgeon do her surgery on her day? So that I'm just kind of mad, a little bit mad at God. But it did free up time for us to go out uh, on Wednesday. And uh, our server comes over the table and Steve paid attention. I did not. But Steve noticed she had 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 tattooed on her arm. We started talking to her and she said, well, that, that's my mother's verse. And she's always praying for me and always talking to me about Jesus. And so I just tattooed it on there to remember how much I love my mother. Oh. So we started saying, well, have those prayers been answered? No, I, I don't have a relationship with him yet. I, I'm having trouble believing that he's real and all this. And I just said, well, Cassie, you said this is your third day of work. On your third day of work, God sent four missionaries to your table. <laughs> we spent the whole rest of the time talking when that dinner came to an end with tears coming down her cheeks. Cassie became our sister in Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And then... And I said, Cassie, where's Jesus right now? And she says, right here in my heart. <laughs> We're driving back to camp with our friends. I can't remember who brought it up first, but somebody said, if she'd had that cancer surgery, we'd have never met Cassie tonight. Hmm. Hmm. Donna got her a Bible. We've got her hooked up with people to be ministered to, pastor that's ready to baptize her. That's fun life right there. Do not miss it. Do not miss that. This is not complex. Just scatter some small seeds. They're miracle gospel seeds. Love somebody, share with somebody. That's it. Just go do that. And, and then just carefully nurture what's growing around you. Just do you know what's growing around you? Are you watching? Has God given you a spouse? Are you, are you nourishing and nurturing each other spiritually? Do you have children? Do you have a spiritual plan for them? We're now strategic grandparenting. Wish I had time to tell you about that. Maybe I'll preach a whole sermon on that sometime. But, but are you nurturing what's growing around you? Are you paying attention to it? God's growing stuff. Nurture it. And, and then finally, you'll be able to joyfully harvest and share in the bounty joyfully harvest and share in the bounty. We, we read verse six to begin with, and it, it says the farmer is supposed to be the first one to get the first crops. You know what the crop is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus and everything he does. So right back to verse one and two. When, when you're sowing those seeds and the soil is, is, is ready and you're nursing what grows, then you start going, look at that. Look what God did, like we got to do Wednesday with, with Cassie, like I got to see today in the tears and the renewed commitment of Paul. It's really not that hard. And then we get in on the harvest. The harvest is Jesus, 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 and everything he does. Farm for it, celebrate it, and then enjoy the bounty. That's the life God gives us. Okay, so let me finish this whole series because next week will be something different with 4th of July. I can't wait to be back with you. But let me finish this whole series and just give you a kingdom mentality template. And I'm gonna do it with a story, all right? I, I, if you hadn't figured out, I love stories. Jesus said he never spoke without telling a story. So if you're tired of my stories, too bad. I'm gonna tell them every time I speak. <laughs> if Jesus needed stories, I do too. But, but th this, is, this is a good one, all right? Uh, and I think it'll give you an idea that you can take with you this week and the rest of your life and just say, you know what? 
I could evaluate every single day by how much I'm doing these things that I'm going to tell you about. So I've told you about Gary Witherall. If you're new here, you may, uh, if, you're, if you've been here a while, you may think he never preaches without talking about that guy. Yeah, that's probably true. He's my spiritual coach. So I, I talk about what I learned from him. Uh, if you're new here, you don't know who I'm talking about. Uh, his wife was martyred while they were missionaries in a Muslim country uh, in 2002. I remarried him to the granddaughter of a famous martyr, and now they've got four kids, and they're back reaching the same culture that killed Gary's first wife. And we go to crazy places together, and then sometimes we just get together here, and we just hike up a mountain together. And we did that a few months ago. Be back with him in November in the crazy places, but, um, but in, in uh, March, I think he was here, honey, we, we, just, we just hiked. And uh, Gary always teaches me something a way to think I hadn't been thinking about. And uh, on that morning, we were sitting, Gary and Donna and I, and Donna wasn't going on the hike, but we were about to leave. And, and Gary said, hey, got an idea for this day, okay? He said, everything we do, everywhere we go, the trail, meals, restaurant, gas station, anywhere we go, let's only do three things. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk to Jesus. And let's talk with Jesus. I said, well, what's the difference in talking with him or to him? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, if we talk with Jesus, we got to be where he is. Where is he? Well, I knew the answer to that. He's seeking to save the lost. That's what he said he's doing. That's his mission. He's not hanging around church buildings. He ain't good. When these lights go out, he's not in here. <laughs> Only reason he's in here now is because you're here. He's in you, not a building. So he, he, he's, out, he's out seeking to save lost, wandering people who need hope, need him. He said, so when we speak with Jesus, that means we're talking to others who need him or might need him. Let's just do that all day long. See what happens. Sounds good to me. But I said, Gary, we're going on a trail. Last time I was on that trail, I may not have seen two or three people. Well, I wasn't thinking about the fact it was spring break season. Any of you hiked Alum Cave Trail? Yeah, several of you have. That was our trail. Well, I want to tell you, there were people about every five steps on that trail. So I said, I said, well, how are we going to do this? He said, well, let's just start talking about Jesus. We see somebody coming down the trail. Let's transition. Let's talk to Jesus. Let's just say, Lord, do you want us to talk to that person? If so, show us how to do it. Okay. So we're hiking up the trail and we're just talking about Jesus. He took something Gary learned, something I've learned. Man, he's just rich, rich, rich. And I realized I'm a, I've been a pastor and I've been a missionary. And it's been a long time since I talked about Jesus that much in the course of the day. We're just talking about Jesus. Somebody comes around the corner. Gary, he's saying, you know, some things I've seen in, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus, those folks coming down the road here, coming down the trail, you want us to talk to them? Show us how. That's the way he did it. First family walked by. Gary doesn't say anything. Nods, I nod. And then I, I notice Gary turning around and he's watching him go down the trail. I'm watching him, see what he'll do. He says this, Marhaba. The family turned around. They had a little six-year-old boy with them. Husband, wife, six-year-old boy. Mom and dad, six-year-old boy. And the little boy grabbed his daddy's hand and says, Daddy, he talked like us. They were Egyptian. For the next 10 minutes, Gary shared the gospel with them. And they agreed that Islam hadn't been measuring up as well. And Gary was going to follow up with them. On we go, talking about Jesus. Talking to Jesus. That... Hike took a long time, <laughs> but man, was it cool. 
So I, I hadn't initiated any of it. So we're just talking about Jesus. And this couple comes around the corner. And I just said, Lord, I, don't, I get a feeling maybe you want me to talk to them. It's a black guy and a white girl, very young. They came up to me and I just kind of blurted out. I, I said, hi, my name's John. And I know this may sound kind of weird, but this is my friend Gary. We're missionaries and we don't want to disturb you guys today. But I, I just felt like we needed to talk to you. Maybe it's just to say, be encouraged today. The Lord's with you. He had some crazy missionary tell you that. Or maybe it's something more. And the guy interrupts me and he says, I know you. I said, you, you know me? And he goes, yeah. Didn't you speak at Houston Baptist University a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah. He said, well, I was a student there. And aren't you like the, aren't you the leader of a ministry and you're taking an entire team to our university? Like they've given you the whole school, the campus, the, the faculty, the students, everybody this fall? Yeah, he goes, well, I was on the committee that was talking about you guys doing that. He said, but now we're graduated. We're married, we're graduated. I said, wait a minute. You, you, you were there when I spoke at Houston Baptist University and I'm running into you on a trail in Tennessee? I said, what are you doing here? I said, we're on vacation. We like to hike. But he said, uh, he said, you know, this is crazy. You use the word missionaries. God's called us to be missionaries. But we're, we've got, a, we've got a, a, just an obstacle. We can't get where God's called us to go because we don't have a connection there. Gary said, where do you feel led to go? And the woman said, Finland. She had a strong accent. She said, I'm from Finland. Gary smiled. He said, have you been there before? You're from there. And said to the young man, have you been there? Yeah, I've been there with her. We were trying to meet this guy named Seth, who's like the Billy Graham of Finland, but we never could get away to, to meet him. Gary smiled. And he said, well, he's one of my five best friends in the world and one of my weekly prayer partners. He, he said, when we get back in the car and get service, I'll contact him and let's see what God does next. Gary's very matter-of-fact about this kind of stuff. I'm going, you know, because Gary's got this incredible faith. And I'm just, I'm starting to cry now. I said, this is insane. I said, come on, let's pray. We pull aside. People are walking up and down the trail, staring at us. And we're, God, you're mighty. You're good. You did this incredible thing just because we just were talking to you and talking to people about you. We're just praying. We get in the car. We go get service. Gary calls, hey, Seth, we just met these folks and telling him about him. And he, got, he said, he's, he's African-American? He said, you know, we, we need we have specific reasons. We need a black missionary in Finland. He said, I can tell you, he'll be a magnet for people here. Everybody will want to, we don't have any black people here. And he, he, he said, people will want to know him and he'll have a chance to share the gospel like crazy and break barriers and all kind of cool stuff. And in January, they're moving to Finland to be missionaries there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now you know something else to pray for us about when we take a whole team of 2025 to Houston Baptist University in October. We were going to do it three days. They said, do it five. Faculty, students, everybody. We'll, we, we want God to move powerfully on this campus. So who knows what God will do. So now, you want to live with kingdom mentality? When you wake up in the morning, Say, Lord, help me as much as I can this day to talk about you. As much as I'm able this day to talk to you. And as much as I'm able this day to talk with you to others. And you will be living the life of a soldier of Christ, an athlete for Christ, farmer of the Father. You'll be living all of them at the same time. Jesus, thank you for giving us your word, showing us how to walk with a kingdom mindset and mentality. 
Now, Lord, as we move into this holiday week, thank you, Lord, for the freedom you give us. But, Lord, we also recognize that we're in a big old mess in this country. Lord, help us not to run after foolishness to try to fix it all. Help us to just pursue you. Because we'll pursue you. You got people along trails and workplaces and restaurants and hospitals and nursing homes everywhere else ready for us to meet enough people that could change the whole nation you started with 12 changed all history more than 12 here so take us from this place with a kingdom mentality and let us see the harvest in Jesus name we ask it Amen. Just stand up. Here's what we do as we finish. Take some time with God. Maybe you want to talk to somebody else. Maybe the person next to you is your, somebody in your family. Maybe just don't be afraid to just take a moment and just talk and say, where, where are we falling short on that? Do we talk about Jesus enough? Are we talking about everything under the sun but Jesus? How can we remedy that? Are we talking to him enough? What's the prayer life like in our life and family? When's the last time we talked with Jesus to somebody? When's the last time we had somebody to our house that doesn't know him? When's the last time we specifically said, hey, while we're eating out tonight, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna pray for the person that serves us. Let's do that. Or just be on your own. Come to the altar, be where you are. Band will take it from here. It's an incredible worship team we love so much. And you and God can take it from there. And then we'll go out of here and God will take us to the harvest. God bless you guys.